0: This past week has been an interesting one for many of us, and for myself included. I decided to watch the news yesterday, which I tend to not do much of. I just find there's just so much going on, so much back and forth, so much uh, varying opinions that it's just too much. But uh, I wanted to yesterday, and I'm glad I tuned in yesterday, because to be well honest, it was amazing, Um, but then ultimately there there was also a lot of sadness too. So where am I going with this? Yesterday, if you didn't know, they had a launch. So uh, down in the States after nine years, but they hadn't sent um, a flight up into space. And I got to see, I got to watch this rocket get launched into space, propelling two people all the way up into orbit, where then we got to look down and see how small and insignificant we really are compared to the world, compared to the globe. It was Amazing, human ingenuity, the technology needed, the science, the camaraderie, the teamwork, the hours of work and labor, all to achieve this unbelievable result. And then I changed the channel and watched that there's this city burning because of riots over a racist and terrible murder that occurred. And I found myself looking at these two realities, this like profound ingenuity and creativity and profound harm and bigotry and small-mindedness and then the violence that followed. So I'm sitting in my office and I felt like I was watching some dystopian story play out in front of me. Riots and rockets and then racism, violence, disease, and then you add on top of all of this the isolation that we've been feeling. And all of this was happening while outside. Birds were chirping, dogs were getting walked, the sun was shining, and and Calgary, at the very least, was coming alive with the excitement of summer. It was a contrast that was surreal, and it was intense, and it was extreme for me. So on the one hand, we have these two kinds of things, and I found myself in moments like this, in chaotic, unpredictable situations, Where do we go? What do we do? How do we get there? This is an unpredictable life that we live in. I know you know that. I know that we all know that. And we also know how fragile we are when we look at this world. So the uncertainty of life, it's always a thing, right? It's always a challenge in front of us to come come to terms with. And when the uncertainty of the world kind of enters into our space, it's one thing for it to stay over there. It's another thing for it to come close. Or maybe there's that mess deep inside. There's that, the rumblings, the anxieties, the worries that you're kind of able to keep shoved down, but every once in a while, the uncertainties of life bring that up to the surface and bring sometimes the world into our lives, and we find ourselves uncertain, fearful, anxious. At least that's the case for me. I don't know if that's the case for you, but that's certainly the case for me, so uncertainty creates fear and insecurity, and as we've often been saying in this season, that we've already been saying a lot is that this is a perfect occasion for God's transformation in our lives. Now, why do you think that is? Why do you think that this is a, these seasons, uh, seasons of uncertainty, loss uh, of stability, unpredictability going on? Why are these the foundations of transformation? Well, for one, I know as an individual, um, it's one of those moments where he gets our undivided attention. You're going about your life, you're just doing your thing, and then all of a sudden, something just bigger than yourself comes your way, and as Christians, we're faced with like, oh, I I have a God I can turn to. We find ourselves looking and evaluating and rediscovering what's really going on. and then it's also a season when God gets the attention of the external community, the, the, the world. Um, the amount of videos and little clips that I've watched in this past week um, regarding like white Christian men and women that have paused, down in the States, that have paused and said, you know what? I've not actually really taken seriously what's going on all around me under in the undercurrents of racism and I need to figure out what to do and how to do it and not just make a tweet or a post about it or send a meme to someone saying that they don't agree but I need to do some deep real work. It's been an encouragement to me and it's challenged me in this day and age what what do I do and how do I respond to these times of unrest where peace seems really far away. Um, it's an opportunity for us to repent. You know, in uncertain times, God pushes us to a place of repentance and renewal. It often reshuffles our values. It, It causes us to rethink what matters most in our lives, kind of exposes some things. I like this quote that Andy Stanley has, and he says this, "'Uncertainty surfaces our deepest insecurities "'and our hidden values.'" Uncertainty surfaces our deepest insecurities and our hidden values. And I think he's absolutely right. I know that's the case for me. Now you might think, well, where do we go with this? How do, where do we go in a season like this? And I'm holding this, and it's not just, you know, because I don't have a place to put it. Our scripture, God's word, is a narrative history of environments of people experiencing uncertainty, confusion, and challenges. The Bible is not filled with feel-good messages for a world we don't live in. We find God speaking directly into uncertain times. We see his hand in the midst of uncertainty. Pick your favorite Bible story, any Bible story, and you will find at the heart of it is conflict. At the heart of it, there's these questions of uncertainty like, what's God going to do now? What are the people going to do? Where do we go? How do we do this? And it's this conflict that exists throughout, and God responding consistently and constantly through his word. So the Bible is filled with story of people facing uncertainties. People being put into challenging situations and trying to figure it out and looking to God for what to do. This is a record of God's faithfulness in uncertain times. And this is a record of God's faithfulness even to the faithless as well as the faithful. That's what I love about the the Bible. That's what I love about God's Word is that it is a, a thing for us to look to and it points us to it. And ultimately, we find ourselves in it. We find ourselves wrapped up in this story. This is our story. These are the stories that help point us forward and give us guidance in the days to come. We have to look back in order to be able to move forward well. And what better place to go in a day and age like today than God's word? We need to. Uh, When Matt and I decided to launch this series and look at that God is still in control. God God still has the whole world in his hands. The inclusion of the still is important because it feels like a time in our lives when we might ask that question. God, are you active in this all? God, where are you in the affairs of men? Should we all be like the astronauts and try to get away, get off of this planet, go somewhere else? God, what do we do? How do we look to you? And what I love is that through all of this, the biblical perspective, the biblical narrative tells us that this is normal, that we are in normal life. It's frustrating, it's not what it was five months ago, but we don't know what tomorrow brings and we've never known what tomorrow brings. The challenging times that we're in only brings to the surface the truth of all of this. And that forces us to ask these important questions. Last week, um, we explored in Romans 8.28, and we know that all things, that God is at work in all things. So we had that last week, that reminder, God is at work. Do you trust him? Are you willing to put your life into his hands, knowing that he still has the whole world in his hands? So if you choose to believe and trust what the Bible says about God's historic track record, then... And if you, even in your own life, you look back and you see God at work in your life. And then we look at maybe the moments of other people. And we come to the conclusion, after all of this, that he is still king of all. He is at work. He is making a way. And yet, we're uncertain. And yet, there's anxiety. And yet, there's confusion and fear. And then there's this question, and this is the question I kind of want us to zero in on today today. What are we supposed to do in the meantime? We know that God has done it, that God has won, that the victory is in hand, that it's been sealed, signed, delivered. And yet here we find ourselves in these uncertain times, in this middle space, this liminal space, where we find ourselves in tension. What are we supposed to do in the meantime while we wait for God to make all things new? How are we supposed to act? Where are we supposed to turn? What are we supposed to do? Well, fortunately, with today being Pentecost, uh, I think we have a beautiful story that can ground us and give us guidance, and then out of this story, I want us to look at a couple of passages uh, in Paul's writings that just reinforce a general theme that exists through the entire New Testament and the entire new church that was birthed. So, I love origin stories. I'm just a big fan. They're one of my favorites, you've been watching, you say you watch like hero movies, and you have those questions like, how did it all start? What was the point? What was that moment that, the turn from being like normal to extreme or whatever the case might be? I could go on and on, I will not. Uh, That's not fair to people that aren't interested in like superhero movies and all of those. But I will say that most of us, all of us should to some degree Love going back and looking back at those old stories. I take, for example, you, you're scrolling through and you look at those old, old photos of yourself, and you hope, you hope that the styles in life, like your dress, your wardrobe style, shifts enough in the next couple of years so that you can actually make this photo public again because you're so embarrassed by what you decided to wear, or maybe that hairstyle just needs to stay in the shoebox forever because it was just so bad. You know what, we love going back. We love exploring where we've been. Um, we love going, uh, I, at least I did, I loved hearing elders tell the story. Um, you know, that time back in the day when the snow was deeper and the going to and from school was always uphill, that um, this was one of those things, and it's like you hear these stories of like, time's gone by, and I loved it. I remember at my grandfather's 90th birthday party, um, his memoirs were presented to the family, and some of those stories were read at his 90th birthday party, and some of those stories moved me to tears when I found out why he did what he did and where he went where, when he did and why and the how of it all. Well, today, Pentecost Sunday, is essentially the origin story of the church. Pentecost Sunday is the moment in which the Holy Spirit came upon God's people in such a way that activated them to go and be what Jesus asked them to go and be. It's historic. It's beautiful. Let me give you a little bit of context, and I think it will help answer some of this question. What do we do in the meantime? So Jesus is with his disciples, teaching them, training them. They're often asking really ridiculous questions, and we all enjoy that, and we all enjoy going through that um, the gospels to see that and then we hit the end where jesus dies and is raised again and then he hangs out with several of his disciples and many more for a period of time where he continues to teach and and instruct and then he hits that moment where he says okay i've got to go you're going to stay in jerusalem wait in jerusalem don't go anywhere until you receive the gift from on high and then from that point you're going to go and do your mission work everywhere So in this situation, Jesus leaves. Even at the point of them leaving, they're still asking what we would look and think of are pretty ridiculous questions. But he leaves, they look around, and then they go about their way. And when I think about this wonderful story, (laughs) it's not that wonderful yet, but I mean, it's coming. Well, it is wonderful. No, I shouldn't say that. Um, They're looking at this situation Jesus has just left, and they look around. Now, Jesus did tell them to remain in Jerusalem. That's true. But he did not say, remain in Jerusalem, and don't talk to anyone, and be a private religion, and just keep to yourselves. He didn't say any of that. And you would expect that these people, having witnessed the death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus, would be out telling their neighbors. They would be sharing the story. They would be talking about it, except... They were so uncertain. There was fear. There was persecution. There was confusion going on in their worlds, and so they didn't. They were immobilized. Maybe it was out of, uh, out of fear. Maybe it was they didn't know what to do. They didn't know if they could. They did, there was, it was uncertain. So what did they do? It drove them upstairs. It drove them to their knees. It readied them for God's great response. And then the Holy Spirit came. It came without reservation or limit. And this private group was transformed into a public one. They began because they saw the living God at work deep within them. The living presence of God working within them. Peter, by the Spirit, somehow made the choice to stand in front of a crowd that had gathered and declared what he hadn't been declaring for weeks and months. That God was real through Jesus Christ Christ. Salvation has come to all people. It was a new day, a new era. And the early church discovered that the answer to all of their questions, the response to the desires beneath the desires, the answer to their prayers and all their prayers was found in the living, active presence of God, the Holy Spirit. I love this quote um, that I was able to track down by Richard Rohr and it says the answer to prayer is always the same it's the gift of the holy spirit let me say that again the answer to prayer is always the same it's the gift of the holy spirit that's a bold statement it's a big statement but i believe it to be true is there uncertainty in your life is there a waiting around is there needing guidance Is there a desperation for peace inwardly and on the outside? Pray, pray until peace comes. The moment in history that this church, when this all happened for the early church, it didn't get better after that. They they, they had a new purpose and a new mission and a new focus, but their circumstances got worse. As they opened their mouths and they declared the goodness of God with power and passion, persecution got bigger and heavier and higher and harder. And yet, through the entire New Testament story, we see God's people going back again and again and again to one clear option and command to pray. And when the early church prayed and when Paul in his letters talked about prayer, they were, it was not about pushing up positive feelings or sending out good vibes, as many people like to say, it was an understanding that they were talking and speaking with the living God. Prayer is a dynamic lifestyle. It is action. It is life with God. It's built into the definition of following Jesus. And by all accounts, what we can see in the New Testament church is that's exactly what they believed and that's exactly how they responded in times of uncertainty they prayed. We could go through the story of Acts and see time and time again, what do we do? They they went to prayer. Where do we go? They went to prayer. We're challenged, we're facing the situation, they went to prayer. And we see it in Paul's letters, we see it in in Corinthians, pray, do this, pray. We see it in Ephesians and in Romans, we see it to the letter to the Philippians. And let's just take a moment actually to read what Paul says about prayer uh, in the book of Philippians. Um, So, you've had your Bible kind of on the side. I'd like you to take it out, and I'd like you to turn to Philippians 4, verses 4 to 7. Uh, We'll put it up on the screen as well. Now, a bit of context. Um, This was likely written in 55 CE. And this was likely written while Paul was in prison, and he had been experiencing severe persecution. So he's been in brutal circumstances. Uh, And then he pens these words. So, let me read this to you. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Such a valuable passage. And we've quoted that, we've referenced that in the past two months, and we'll probably go back to it again because it is so appropriate to where we are right now. But beyond this passage, I actually want us to jump back five years to what scholars believe was the first book written in the New Testament. This was first Paul's first letter that, he, that we have recorded that he wrote to an early church, and I want to show you that this kind of thinking, this way of thinking, this rejoice in the Lord always, let your kindness or gentleness be clear to everyone, in all situations, uh, praise the Lord, and these kinds of things, in every situation pray, that this is a common feature in the life and teaching of Paul and the early church. So, what book is that? That's the book of 1 Thessalonians. So most people believe and that this is the first book written in the New Testament, written around 50 CE. And if you would turn with me to 1 Thessalonians 5, 15 to 19. All right? 1 Thessalonians 5, 15 to 19. Feel free to read along with me as you're reading. I encourage you kind of either to make mental notes or literal notes of the connections that you see between that Ephesians passage. Now, that might be hard for you to do because you're flipping back and forth, but that's okay. We'll go. We'll read. So, make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Rejoice. (laughs) Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstance, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the Spirit. Now, there's more before and after that's beautiful and worth reading. But we're going to stop there. Have you seen? Do you see the connections? Do you see how these passages match up? And I strongly believe that this paves a way forward for us in the question what do we do in the meantime? What do we do in times of uncertainty? Paul and, this enti- and the entire early church had this similar conviction and belief. So let's take briefly a moment to kind of walk through this passage in First Thessalonians, which I believe is this perfect picture of, you know when a kid, uh, a little kid, gets that inquisitive nature about them, and you answer a question, and they might turn to you and say, "How?" Or they might say, why? And you're like, all right, I guess I've got to unpack this one. And then you, you give a statement. And it's like, why? And then, why? Why? Until eventually you're, you get to a point where you say, because I said so. Um, or whatever other words you choose to use. Well, what I love about this passage in First Thessalonians is it's very similar. We can ask the question, okay, that's great, but how? Okay, that's great, but how? And it slowly drives us Forward, and it's a beautiful way for us to think of this, of this passage and for how we're supposed to live our lives so what do we have right at the very beginning we have a passage that if you boil it down to its simplest statement it says do good always that's basically what it's saying someone hurts you or wrongs you don't repay it with evil if you experience violence don't be violent back if you experience pain give love Do good always, not just to your brothers and sisters in the church, but to everyone else. Do good always. And the challenge, this is a challenge, is how do we not let hard times or the actions of others erode our integrity and our character? Things are tough, uh, things are hard, and it's so easy for us to give ourselves permission to act hard and tough to others. Our character is not a result of what happens to us and what people do to us, but it's a result of what God has done inside of us. And we cannot, we cannot allow the circumstances of our lives to begin to control the way we treat others and how we act in this world. But how do we do that, right? That's where, that's where we get driven. And before I go to the, but how, you can even see that, that Paul expands this and speaks to this as well in the passage of Philippians. He says, let your gentleness, let your goodness, your kindness be evident to all. So we even have that connection there. Life is hard, and we want to do eye for an eye, but that is not the way of Jesus. That is not the way of peace. So then we ask the question, okay, that's great, but How? How do I do there? How do do I do that? How do I get to a place where I can live in that way? Well, the answer is rejoice always. And it is implied, just as in the passage of Philippians says more explicitly, rejoice in the Lord. And then he says it, and I'll say it again, rejoice. There is this clear mandate, this clear call for us to always rejoice. Now, it's easy for us to rejoice when we get our way. It's easy for us to rejoice in our successes or we get something we were hoping for. It's easy to rejoice when we get the scholarship or we uh, get the job we're looking for or the relationships challenges get worked out. And that's good. That's fine. It's okay for us to rejoice in those kinds of situations. But what happens when we don't get those things, when things don't go our way, when prayers don't get answered in the time and in the way that we'd want them to? What do we do then? When bitterness or envy and all of these things start to like mix inside of us, leading us to not do good always. The call is to rejoice always. And if we have a disposition, a posture of rejoicing, the natural outcome is for us to walk in the way of Jesus with love and care and grace because it's just flowing out of a life of joy. So then we ask the question, okay, that's great, but how? How do I rejoice always? Trent, this is too much, and I, I understand. I Rejoicing always, that's pretty tall order for myself as well. And then here's the answer. You, you, you see the trend that's happening here. You probably already know where this is ending, but just hold with me here, okay? Bear with me. Pray continually, or pray without ceasing, as some translations say. Don't give up on prayer. Pray when you are uncertain. Again, uncertainty surfaces my deepest insecurities and my hidden values. Prayer is getting honest. Prayer is saying that you can't solve it, that you don't know how to rejoice always, and that you go to the Lord in prayer. Prayer is an act of faith towards a God who is faithful. It is putting ourselves in conversation with him, acknowledging what's going on. And how does prayer do that? Well, prayer does that because when we are honest with our Lord and we come to him and we show what's going on, we interact with him as a relationship. God and and I, you and God, it's not just a contract, it's a friendship, it's a relationship, and prayer is the middle of that. It's a conversation. And when we do that, God starts to rewrite the problem. He st- starts to fill in those missing links. And missing puzzles and questions in fact he ends up rewriting us and the questions we started with don't matter anymore god is at work constantly in our lives and on the other end of prayer a life of prayer is a life of peace in the book of philippians when if we were to go back you don't have to but philippians says that out of prayer comes what we receive from God, which is the peace of, co- peace of God that will guard, guard our hearts. I want this kind of peace. I want this kind of peace in my life and in this world. And I think you do too. And one of the first important things for us to do is that point of honesty in prayer. You know, f- finish this sentence if you want in your mind right now. Heavenly Father, I need you to dot, dot, dot. What, what is that that fills instantly in that spot? And it can be vain. It can be petty. It can be small-minded. It doesn't matter. Just be honest. Heavenly Father, I need you to this. But then, after you've reflected on that, you can, you can go a little bit deeper. Heavenly Father, I need you to show me why that matters so much to me. And then, maybe it's fear. Maybe it's all of things you're afraid of. And then you can pray, Lord, help me with this fear. And it, you slowly can kind of work down to the deeper truth that's going on in our lives. But this command, pray always, again, but how? How do we get to a place where we have the endurance and the desire, the interest to keep going? And that moves us to, but give thanks always. And giving thanks is a declaration of God's goodness. It's a declaring of his nature. It is a declaring of his promises that we have received. It is an acknowledgement of what is actually going on in the heavenly realms, not just what we see in news articles or on, the, on videos or wherever. It is an understanding that God is truly and always worthy of praise. And when we begin to praise his name, when we declare his goodness, when we give thanks to him for him, just thank you, Lord, for being you and for doing what you do, it changes the way we think and it opens us up to the ability to pray and to pray often. It changes the way our faith acts and thinks. We actually begin to see that, you know what, God, you were faithful in this time. You can be faithful in this time right now. God, you did this for my grandfather. You can do this for me today. God, you did this in history in in the United States uh, 60, 70-odd years ago. You can do it again today. God, with this coronavirus and all of the challenges, God, you helped humanity find a way during smallpox. There is these points that we can look back and we can see, God, you are at work. Your character is worthy. We praise your name. And out of that praise comes the ability for us to pray now, this is, now I love this part. I love the trajectory that we've been following so far. That out of prayer becomes the capacity to rejoice. Out of a heart of joy and rejoicing, the petty things fall away and we find ourselves able to actually do good and do good consistently in a world that desperately needs Christians to do good and to do it consistently. And that's that centerpiece is prayer. But getting to that point of prayer requires a giving thanks and a praise. And now we've come to our final okay, but how? So you can kind of take a breath breath from that trajectory. And it concludes with this. Okay, I see this all, I'd love to go in this trajectory, I'd love to be a person that does good consistently. How? Do not quench the spirit. Um, My grandfather, he was a, a minister, he was a pastor, And there was this one time, he went to this small town, um, and he was a pastor there uh, in Saskatchewan. And he meets up with a local barber just to get to know the family and to build relationships. And over time, the relationship gets better. He's able to share a little bit more about his faith journey and his hopes and needs. And this couple starts to kind of come to church every once in a while. And there's been some needs going on uh, in their lives. Well, at one point... Um, my grandfather wakes up in the middle of the night. um, And actually, he doesn't wake up in the middle of the night. Let me get this straight. Um, He is phoned, um, he gets a phone call, and he is asked to pray. This, This couple, their young daughter is not doing well. They live out pretty far away. This is back in the day when opportunities to get to the hospital are basically zero. and they don't know what to do. And so they they ask my grandfather to pray. And so my grandfather prays. And he gets down on his knees, and he prays for this kid. And so he prays, finishes his prayer, kind of gets ready to go to bed, and feels like, oh, he feels like a response from the Holy Spirit, I'm not supposed to stop. This is not the moment. And so he goes back to prayer. And he does that repeatedly. And then he basically says, he prayed until he felt released, that he felt like he was allowed to stop praying. So he prays, prays, prays. And then at around 2.30 at, in the morning, he feels like, okay, I feel like I don't need to be praying right now. And he goes to bed. Next day, um, he finds out that at 2.30 in the morning, this girl's high, high fever breaks. And she was fine. Um, st- That isn't how it always works, but that is how it does work. And the Holy Spirit, on the day of Pentecost, if we go back to that upper room story, we have a group of men and women, they knew the truth of Jesus Christ, they knew the gospel, they had a story to share, they had a mission of peace that could transform the world, but they didn't know where to go, they didn't know how to do it, and all they did was pray. And we could look at that and say, come on, prayer? But no, in that moment, when the Holy Spirit came upon them, it It was the answer. It gave them the energy. And you'll see it in scripture that it says, uh, let me turn to it here. Um, It says um, that when the Holy Spirit came, um, that all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And it created such a commotion. And then later on it says this, the people watching said this, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. We hear them praising God and giving thanks. They weren't praising God before the Holy Spirit in that situation. They were praising God out of their encounter with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives the energy. The Holy Spirit helps us move forward. Jesus Christ, his death and his resurrection and ascension paves the way. It unlocks the door for us to walk through. But... It's the Holy Spirit that gives us the push through that door to live the life that He wants us to live. We are a people of promise. We have this. The Holy Spirit declares into our lives and into our into our world that we are children of God. And I have this question for you that um, we can put up as a slide. Do you pray like you are a slave of Egypt, or do you pray like you're a child of promise? The Holy Spirit enables us to pray as children of a promise, to declare the goodness of God, that when you find yourself overwhelmed, beat beat up and knocked down and not sure where to go, pray and allow the Holy Spirit to do what only he ever could do. This world is looking for Christians to be people of, of transcendent peace, a peace that goes beyond understanding. And the Holy Spirit is able to work on our lives that when we pray, we're able to have an inner peace that makes no sense, and that out of that inner peace and out of the presence of the Holy Spirit, guiding us to be the good people we are called to be, and in being the good people, we become peacemakers. We become workers in God's kingdom to transform this world, and we can't do that without prayer and without the presence of the Holy Spirit. If you're in a hard time, pray. Pray until peace comes. And then when peace comes, continue to pray. Don't forget the Holy Spirit. Don't forget the beauty of what we have in store. Friends, I'm so thankful that we've been able to walk through God's word today, that we've been able to explore um, the book of Acts a little bit, that we've been able to talk about the life of Paul and these challenges. And I want to leave you with this challenge. In this coming week, commit to praying. And when you find it difficult, go back to this passage in 1 Thessalonians and ask those questions. Okay, Lord, I want to be this good person, but how? But how? But how? But how? And end up at that spot where you say, Holy Spirit, I need you right now. I invite you. Be full and active in my life and guide my steps. And I can guarantee that you will experience a transformation in your day-to-day lives that you've never seen this is how the early church figured it out in the mess of it all how to be the church they said yes to the way of the holy spirit friends let me pray for you and then then we'll go heavenly father this world needs your peace and you are calling us to be people of peace you are calling us to pray you're calling us to act but lord it's so hard to know how to act well in this life That's why we need to rejoice always. We need to pray continually. And we need to give thanks in all circumstances. Lord, this is the will for our lives in Christ Jesus. And Lord, we ask that that we not quench the spirit, that we don't push it down, that we don't ignore it. And Lord, I know that there are some of us here listening right now that know that they have been been pushing back stuff and have been ignoring things that are at work in their lives, the uncertainties and fears. And Lord, I just ask that you help them bring it to you in prayer. And Lord, for some of us, we need you, Holy Spirit, to fill us anew. That Lord, as we celebrate Pentecost, that we celebrate the truth that we are children of a new promise, that we are free and that we can be guided by you. Lord, if people are unsure about what to do today and tomorrow and how to live in these uncertain times, Lord, I ask that you help them to talk to you and that they would invite the Holy Spirit to become full and active in their day-to-day lives. Holy Spirit, Father, Son, we love you, and we're thankful for this day. Amen. Go in peace.